Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. As usual, our guests will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Returning to us, we are blessed to have Dr. Peter Malinowski. He's a psychologist from Indianapolis who has previously appeared on Dr. Doctor episodes dealing with the psychology of conspiracy theories and on how to understand the mass hysteria associated with the pandemic. And today I'm excited because Peter is going to help us better understand psychosomatic illness when our body is suffering because of certain patterns of thinking or responding to emotions in unhealthy ways. And, you know, I, I had an experience of this myself recently, and I, no, I hope our listeners, <laughs> it, if our listeners get anything from this show, I hope they realize that this happens to all of us in some ways. Um, but I recognized an, a time in myself. So the Malali kids, uh, like all kids, spend most of the winter with at least one of them having a runny nose. And that's normal. <laughs> they just until depend on the hot potato. Someone's always got it, right? Yeah, it starts at one end of the line, goes down, turns around, comes back the other way. And uh, that's all fine and well until you get to 2020, where every sneeze is COVID until proven otherwise, <laughs> right? And so now, of course, a couple of weeks ago, the Malali kids all with the regular runny noses doesn't bother me too much until I was like, okay, I've got to go and do some procedures in the hospital. And I was noticing, okay, maybe my throat's a little itchy. I guess I'm extra tired today. <laughs> I was kind of scared that I had COVID. And uh, I said, okay, so I had to get tested because I didn't want to expose people in the hospital. And I got tested and I tested negative. And then within an hour, all my symptoms went away completely. <laughs> and uh, I recognized so that. So the test in treated you? It did. It was, it was a, not only a test, but a cure. Uh, <laughs> but that's a, a flavor of what we're hoping to address in a wider spectrum today, where your mind is so powerful. And a lot of times, psychological stress of one kind or another come out as a physical complaint. Yeah, the prefix cycle refers to the mind, and soma refers to the body. So a psychosomatic illness is one in which we have real physical symptoms in our body, but it's caused due to something either emotional or based on a thinking pattern. And Peter's going to help us to unpack that. And every one of us has this in some small or big way sometime during our lives. So this is nothing to be ashamed of. It's pretty much part of being an imperfect human being. I think it actually makes you stronger when you realize how, how your mind can play tricks on you because it helps differentiate uh, between different things. And so I think a lot of times when I bring this up to patients, what they hear is, oh, you're just saying it's all in my head. That's not true at all. In reality, physical symptoms of psychosomatic conditions are real and they require treatment just like any other illness would. Unfortunately, effective treatment doesn't always come in the way that patients are expecting or in an, a timely manner. Sometimes we have to really figure it out. Right. And this is completely separate from patients who are making things up. And we have a number of names for those disorders in medicine, which we don't need to share with you online because they're a secret. Well, they're not a secret. But <laughs> we do have our own terminology, but this is not that. Um, that's a whole different problem when somebody is basically lying to us or making things up for, for various reasons. And, and we're not here to talk about that tonight. And, and now, Tom, I'll tell you, I've seen both. And for every one person I've seen making up a symptom, I've seen at least a thousand people who are having a psychosomatic symptom where they're not doing it on purpose, but it's caused right. by their mind. They just don't realize it. And sometimes we don't, once we realize it, oh, I mean, butterflies in the stomach, that's a psychosomatic symptom. Yeah. You know, who hasn't had that? Or tightness in the chest with nervousness, that's a psychosomatic symptom. Again, it's part of who we are, and Peter's going to help us make sense of this. So there was a study that Peter referred me to, referred us to, from 2005 in the Archives of General Psychiatry. And um, they were looking at, you know, how often um, do family physicians see somebody with uh, psychosomatic symptoms? And uh, the, you know, the answer was um, one in five, about 20%. 
Um, and these people who had psychosomatic symptoms were like one and a half to two times more likely to see their doctor, to see a subspecialist, to go to an emergency room, or to be admitted to a hospital. Uh, and that was even after removing patients who had anxiety or depression. So it's pretty common, and it really impacts medical care. And it's something that I'm particularly passionate about uh, because there is such a stigma towards mental illness that people frequently are offended when I try and explain to them that this is because of the stress you're under. Are you saying I'm crazy? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. And even if you were, you shouldn't feel stigmatized by it. But I have so many people almost on a daily basis you know, when I'm laying out, okay, there's, there's five major causes of chest pain. It could be your heart, lungs, stomach, skin, and bones, or anxiety. Well, I know it's not anxiety. Okay. <laughs> we, we've, we've ruled out the other four, you know? And so when I would just encourage people to leave the door open, that if that's what your doctor says, um, trust them. You know, that happens a lot. And a lot of what we're going to talk about, as Peter will say, is this is stress coming out the wrong way. Uh, in ways that we often don't realize. And therefore, the medical trivia question of the day deals with this. The category is chemicals made in the body with a little Greek and Latin twist, which many Catholics enjoy. So what I'd like you to do is give both the Greek and Latin derived name of the chemical that is responsible for many psychosomatic symptoms, as well as the fight or flight response the sympathetic nervous system. So there's a Greek name and a Latin-derived name for this chemical. And a bonus, what do both of these chemical names literally mean? And it's related to, as a hint, the part of the body where they're made. Greek, Latin, and medicine, what they're not for a Catholic to love. We're going to be back with Peter Malinowski, Psychosomatic Illness, after the break here from the virtual studios of Redeemer Radio on Dr. Doctor. Welcome to the interview portion of today's show when we bring you Dr. Peter Malinowski, a PhD psychologist who's going to inform us, tickle our mental faculties with psychosomatic illness and what it means for us. Peter's worked as a private practice clinical psychologist in Indianapolis for over 20 years. He's president and co-founder of a ministry called Souls and Hearts, which provides faithful Catholics with guided customized programs that are designed to help remove psychological obstacles to giving and receiving love from God and neighbor at www.soulsandhearts.com, where he publishes his podcast entitled Coronavirus Crisis, Carpe Diem, or Seize the Day for you Latin lovers. Peter, welcome back to Dr. Doctor. It is a pleasure to be with you again, Tom, and it is good to be here with you for the first time, Andrew. Yeah, I'm glad I finally got to get in on one of yours. I know the other ones were very well received. I know he brings with him again his stunning radio voice. And so, Peter, to help make the concept of psychosomatic illness relatable to listeners, can you tell us a story of someone living with this kind of illness? Sure. Well, I will tell you a story about me and some psychosomatic issues <laughs> I had. So let's go back in time, you know, back in time to when I'm 28 years old. And I'm leaving for my clinical internship in Seattle, Washington, at the University of Washington in the department, in the medical school, in the Department of Behavioral Medicine. And I'm, this is a real high power internship, a lot of pressure. It's really competitive. I, I've got an eight week old infant. So I'm a, I'm a new father. We're running across the country. Um, and, you know, we're leaving all of our extended family, our social, our social network. I'm working also on finishing my dissertation to get my PhD. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of change. And so I'm working in the chronic pain clinic. I'm doing multi, multidisciplinary treatment. We're all into this behavioral medicine thing. We're really working on understanding how we can use psychology to reduce, um, to reduce people's distress, their suffering. Um, I'm considering, you know, what kind of psychological factors are playing into all these medical conditions because I was in health and reha rehabilitation psych at the time, behavioral medicine. And I'm, I'm finding that at night, I'm grinding my teeth. I'm grinding my teeth. And so, you know, with all this background, what do I do? 
Well, I buy a mouth guard, well, right? Well, you know, I mean, you? the well, problems you know, it's, obviously it's, in your, your jaw muscles <laughs> exactly. couldn't be anywhere else, could it? <laughs> exactly, right? It shows it shows how these things can escape us. And I make the argument that we all at some point or other, or at least almost all of us, express psychological distress, express emotional distress through our bodies. So, you know, I like that. I like that example because it's something that, you know, it's something that is not the full blown, you know, somatic symptom disorder or psychosomatic disorder, but it's something like that was at that point in time, it was very clear to me, uh, you know, that I was under a lot of stress, but I didn't put it together, even though I was in the field, even though I was in the field. The stress was manifesting in your jaw and teeth and your muscles. That's right. And we can talk about the meaning of all of that. But in, in that particular case, there was a lot of things going on. That's a very hierarchical, at least at the time, it was a very hierarchical environment that I worked in. You know, I was on grand rounds. I was with a lot of real high power uh, medical doctors, experts in the field and so forth. There was, uh, I, and there was a lot that I wanted to talk. I wanted to talk back. You know, I wanted to stand up. I wanted to sort of speak out, but that wasn't tolerated in that culture very well. And so, and I was actually really angry. So the grinding of my teeth also had a meaning behind it, right? It was grinding my teeth in anger and also keeping my mouth shut, right? So that I didn't, uh, so that I didn't act out in some way verbally that would have gotten me into trouble within the hierarchy of the organization. So, man. Why, why should we spend a whole episode on this topic, Peter? Well, that's, that's the thing. We all, like I said, have these psychosomatic symptoms, you know, and all of us you know, are going to have relational connections. We have relationships with people who also express distress through the body. And when we express distress through the body, it's so misunderstood. It helps, it helps us so much to understand how we express psychological distress and emotional pain through the body so that we can care for ourselves, so that we can love ourselves in an ordered way, and so that we can also love others in a much more attuned way. Because what can happen if we don't is that we can wind up being really frustrated. We can wind up being really uh, angry. We can wind up uh, acting in ways that are really not helpful, that it just exacerbate that cycle of folks expressing distress uh, through the body. Peter, what, uh, what differentiates the symptoms that you've had or that I've had or Thomas had versus the official um, somatic symptom disorder that is much less common? That's much less common. Yeah. You know, it has a lot to do with severity, like how bad is it and how much is it getting in the way of somebody functioning? Usually within, you know, within psychology, when we give something a, a disorder, a diagnosis of a disorder, we're saying that it's, it's just severe and it's starting to really get in, in the way of a person being able to carry out their role obligations. And so- are psychosomatic symptoms just stress coming out the body in another way? Is it the fight or flight system gone awry or is it more than that? Well, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, you know, and this is one of the things that was going on back in 1998, 1999, when I was in Seattle on that internship is that we, we recognized that there is stress, right? And so part of stress can be this fight or flight, this fight or flight uh, response. But what I would say is that there's always something that causes the stress, right? We tend to look at this too late in the causal chain. So if you have a psychosomatic symptom, you have a symptom that's expressing something like anger, right? Like my, my grinding my teeth was about anger. Well, there's stress, right? That I'm experiencing at my job, but there's causes for that stress. So as a, as a clinical psychologist, particularly one that's interested in behavioral medicine and health psychology, I want to go back a little further up the causal chain to see what's causing the stress. Because I don't actually believe there's such a thing as general stress. I don't actually believe there's such a thing as general anxiety, even though we've got a diagnosis, diagnosis. of general, gen general anxiety disorder. Um, I think that we actually have causes for all of these things. And when we can get to the root of those causes, we're going to be in much better shape in terms of being able to form effective treatments. So a lot of people, when they have symptoms like that, and you described a great scenario for yourself, got a new baby doing juggling all these things that are all very good. I've heard some people give the advice, maybe you just have too much on your plate. Um, is that the case? Or is it just that we're not handling it in a healthy way? It can be that it's that it's too much. Uh, it can also be that we don't, we're not very resilient. 
You know, there's, 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 you know, it varies from case to case. It also depends on how well our whole, our, our coping mechanisms are working. You know, so for example, um, people can be, certain people can be extremely stressed out by, by what might sound like relatively mild stressors. Um, you know, so, so, but it could be that the meaning of that is destabilizing for them in some way. So it's really hard to say. One of the things as a psychologist that I think about is like, what's the meaning of the symptom, you know, and how do we best approach this? Sometimes people are in extremely difficult situations where they're, where they're way overextended and you do have to sort of narrow what the person's attempting to do. Sometimes what you want to do is actually work on how can we create additional resiliency in that person's system so they can take on more. Peter, how often are neck pain, back pain, anxiety, depression, either the actual psychosomatic symptom or worsened by psychosomatic issues? Well, because Descartes was wrong and we don't, we're not mind body. Dual, we don't have this dualism Thank right in the mind for, and for body. confirming that. That's right. You know, just in case anybody's wondering, you know, that's, that's like, you know, so 1800s. Um, there's always a relationship. There's always a relationship, right? So, so I would say it's always a factor. Now, one of the things you want to be careful about as a psychologist is that you don't want to treat something as psychosomatic if it actually has a medical etiology, like something that's going on in the tissue, right? Actually in the, in the body. But what we're finding out more and more is that it's not just the pain that a person's experiencing, but it's the suffering that goes with the pain, right? The suffering can actually be much worse than the pain because the suffering is where we layer the meaning, right? That's where we put the interpretations. That's where we, that's where we you know, could, you know, engage in the catastrophic thinking or, you know, or wherever. So there's this whole, there's this whole like layering of meaning and association. And you can see this, and I suppose I'm probably stepping into, into, into tricky waters, dangerous waters here. But if you think about like the pain of childbirth, right, that has a real positive meaning associated with it for, for, for mothers, right? And so it's, it, you know, it's born better than if you had the exact same kind of pain, but you didn't know what was going on. If you imagine what that was like, right? Um, or there were, you know, maybe a better example would be, or safer example would be, you know, people on the battlefield, right? They, they get a bullet, they take a bullet in the shoulder, it's not life-threatening, and they know that they're now going to be able to go home, right? There's a whole different layer of association and meanings versus a bullet in the shoulder and I'm left on the battlefield and now I'm behind enemy lines, right? You can see that the pain can be exactly the same, the tissue damage is exactly the same, but the meaning is entirely different. So there's a large group of human be beings who, you know, kind of deny the fact that they have emotions that could be causing distress in their bodies. And this group of people are commonly called men. Is it true? <laughs> are, are men more likely to suffer from psychosomatic problems or not? Less likely. According to the research, men are about half as likely as women to present with psychological, with, with, with somatic. With, you don't with, mean with we're disorder. actually better dealing with our emotions, do you? That could well, not no, be you gotta remember. You got to remember. Now, you got to remember. You got to remember, Tom, that, <laughs> you know, expressing distress through the body it, through like somatic symptoms is only one way that you can do it, right? So men, for example, are more likely to enact things through the body, ah. right? They're more likely to... Uh, to discharge uh, distress <laughs> through term. bodily actions, yes. right? Right. So it's like the little so, red guy on Inside Out with the full speed ahead. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Right. You know. So I would look at. I would also look at. You know. I would look at the the somatic symptoms as one of a variety of Very different good. bodily mediated ways of expressing distress. So. I didn't want to imply that men are better at. I'm glad you confirmed that we we are not. <laughs> <laughs> and again, you know, I think there are, it's so much of it varies from person to person, right? It's not, you know, these, these broad generalizations, they have some utility, but, but really I think a lot of the time, a lot of it depends on like how much have we actually been taught about how sure. to address our emotions. And now yeah. Peter, when, when people get to you, do they already kind of accept what is going on? Because I guess I'm kind of maybe a step earlier in the diagnostic. Somebody comes in with chest right. pain right. and uh, we kind of work them up and figure it out and it's not their heart. And we, I kind of feel like it's, it's a somatization or psychosomatic right. symptom. 
And then they go to the ER and they get checked out. They go to the ER again and get checked out. And again, in the third time of the same week, <laughs> and the ER doctors know them by their first name. Right. And they develop right. a friendship, but the chest pain doesn't go away. <laughs> right. How, right. So there's a big process on the front end of this, trying to tell people that this is a real thing. It's not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with you. How do you bridge that gap? Yeah, it's, it's really hard because I, people generally, if, if you think of three problems, three types of problems, spiritual problems, physical problems, and psychological problems, by far the least favorite is to have psychological problems, right? Yeah. That's, the least, <laughs> that's the least of the three. Much rather have physical problems, much rather have spiritual problems. Um, and, and, and a lot of it depends, yeah, on how it's handled. I have had people come in who have been, you know, basically, and this is what happened in some cases when I worked, you know, on consultation in hospitals, is you, you've got to go because the physician ordered it, right? You know, you're, you're, <laughs> you're going to go because, and they were very close to the idea that there's anything going on, you know, psychologically. Um, I, um, I think this is where the whole idea of stress is now, makes it easier than it was 20 years ago, where people now accept that stress does cause these issues. So sometimes that's just kind of where I start is, you know, what's going on in your life. And um, I, it's interesting because especially when I did more of this work earlier in my career, um, I had clients that thought that I was a terrible psychologist, but a wonderful physician. <laughs> because, because what was going on, what was going on is that, you know, all this anger, this depression, this anxiety, uh, fear, whatever it was that was being expressed through the body shame, you know, it was now coming back into the psychological, right? So, so they would say, doc, you know, I'm, 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 I'm more anxious than I used to be. I'm, I'm, I'm more depressed than I used to be. And I would say, well, how's your back? And they'd be like, well, that's, I haven't been having back trouble. You know, and, you know, you'd look and you'd see that what was psychological was coming back into the psychological where it was a lot easier to work with. Oh. It's a lot easier to work with the psychological in the psychological than it is to work with it in the physical, you know. And so, so then we were able to work with it in the psychological realm. And then we were able to, to, to uh, actually understand better what the symptoms meant get back to the roots of them. And that's how they resolve. You so know, Peter, the psychological includes emotions, but it also includes thinking. So what is the relationship between psychosomatic issues and, and unhelpful patterns of thinking as opposed to only emotions? Right. It's not just emotions. You know, we really need to be looking at beliefs. Beliefs are the, are the, are the critical thing here. And also what um, Christopher Bolas, a, um, a British object relations guy called unthought knowns. These are things that people know, but they never think, right? These are the assumptions that are so deep, they never put them into words, but they drive so much of how a person behaves because these emotions are also further downstream. The emotions are caused by these deep assumptions, right? So when you find somebody anxious, it's almost always because they're they have beliefs, a belief system, or they believe themselves to be in a place that's unsafe, that's insecure in some way, right? So we want to get back to what are the beliefs about where this person is that drive the emotions or that drive the desires or that drive the attitudes or that drive the impulses, right? Because it's all these things in addition to the emotions that create, that create distress. So the and, also the, but, and also the potential for acting out you know, uh, in various ways. So kind of, I mean, that sounds deep. That sounds really right. deep. You need a sh couple of shovels. I mean, <laughs> setting expectations for somebody who says, Ooh, I, I live with someone like this. Right. Mm -hmm. um, or I know I have a friend I'm asking for a friend. Um, how long <laughs> does it take to fix this the right way? To get to the core emotions or yeah. to the core beliefs. It really depends. I have had times where, in one session, I was able to get to what the core belief was um, and actually do significant work with it. Um, sometimes you could spend 20 years with somebody and it depends on how open they are to, um, to going there, right? Because there's a lot of disincentives to go to that level, right? Uh, so, you know, it goes back to that old joke, you know, how many, how many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? 
You know, this guy, you guys know uh, this it's one? one. The light bulb one. has to really want to change. Want to change. Exactly <laughs> yes. right. It's that, it's that's the old that. joke. Yes. Right, right. You know, and it's, and it's, and it's, 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 uh, you know, for the psychologist or for working with somebody else, it's about creating enough safety to allow that person to do two things. One, to see himself or herself through your eyes, right? Which is an entirely different, per, per, entirely different picture. And secondly, to uh, be able to enter into that in the safety of the relationship, enter into that self-exploration and accept what they find there. The number one thing that drives almost all of this, I actually am more and more convinced is shame. This deep assumption that I am fundamentally inadequate, worthless, unlovable, evil. You know, these are the unthought knowns that drive so much of this, of this distress that actually at the end of the causal chain could come out with, you know, huge skin rashes or chronic headaches or, or back pain or any number of other types of behavioral ex or um, uh, physical expressions of distress. We can that's, that's where you usually wind up is in something around, I am fundamentally flawed, inadequate. And then there's a whole image of God that complements that. You know, I'm unloved by God. Not even God can love me. People don't generally put this into words. That's why they're unthought knowns. But that's really when you get to the core of it, what you find. And for our Catholic audience, we want to differentiate shame from guilt. Shame basically says, I am wrong. Guilt says, right. I did this thing wrong. Right. But, but right. I'm not fundamentally wrong. Is that correct? That's right. We deal There's with guilt and confession, not shame. Right. Well, and that's a lot of, from, from the priest that I talk to, a lot of times what, what people confess is shame, right? Oh. This sort of sense of being fundamentally, fundamentally inadequate. I'm just such a bad person. Free me, Father, for I have sinned. I'm such a bad person. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, you hear this, not that I hear it, right? I don't sit in confessionals, but, um, but on the other side, right. <laughs> I go myself, but, um, <laughs> but uh, just want to be clear, you Thank know, you. I mean, Thank yeah. you, Peter. Catholic, Catholic yeah. crowd, you know, yes. um, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and that's often hard for confessors to deal with, right? Because yeah. people become so utterly convinced of this. And then the terrible tragedy of it is that they act in ways, if they go with those passions that flow from those assumptions, they act in ways that pull for it for confirming the belief from other people, right? So when somebody who's expressing a lot of psychological distress through their body, you know, really honks off their physician and the physician, you know, you know, just loses it and, you know, says, I, this is just all in your head. You know, there's no, nothing on the scans, nothing on the CT scan, nothing on the EKG. We've gone through everything. This is in your head, right? Then the person, you know, says, see, I'm bad. Even my physician doesn't like me, you know, uh, even, even though I pay him, you know, and so forth. So <laughs> they actually, they actually, there's parts of people that pull for that because there's a comfort and the familiarity of the dysfunction we know. These There's are some profoundly helpful things. We need to take a break now so that we can come back and have even more here on Dr. Doctor. Abortion. Pornography. Embryonic stem cell research. Corporate contributions to Planned Parenthood. Do you invest in companies that are engaged in these practices? The Ave Maria Mutual Funds do not, and their investment portfolios reflect that. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. And we're back with Dr. Doctor here on the virtual studios of Redeemer Radio and on the EWTN Global Classic Radio Network talking today to Dr. Peter about psychosomatic conditions. And so, you know, Peter, one of the things that I see in a lot of patients is that patients um, have a sample size of one and they feel like their condition is supremely special. And on the doctor side of things, our job is to consider conditions supremely not special. It's something that we've seen before or it's something that's knowable. If it's that special, we sure aren't gonna figure it out. And so it, you had kind of mentioned that patients frequently focus too much attention on the body. How might this focus on the body really be a substitute for what you were discussing, something that's a deeper problem in another realm of life, a psychological realm? Well, for a number of people, especially who have alexithymia, and alexithymia is a condition where they have difficulty putting their emotions into words, right? They have difficulty expressing their internal experience. People recognize that if you have a physical problem, if you have a medical problem, that that needs to be taken care of. 
And a lot of folks are raised in environments in which psychological or emotional pain just wasn't recognized. It just was, it wasn't really considered, you know, that important. So, so there's, you know, a combination of things that can happen here. And so what can happen is instead of focusing on the overwhelming shame or the overwhelming sadness or the anger or the grief, the loss or whatever it is, I'm going to focus on the body. That helps ground me. That helps focus, you know, my, my attention. And it also can bring in the attention of other people. Legitimizes it. Yeah, it's a, in a sense, legitimizes it and expresses the pain in a way that it can at least be recognized by somebody else. But the problem is, is that it's set up in this really difficult catch-22 paradigm in which, you know, it becomes really refractory to treatment, right? Because think of what would happen if the, if the, if the condition was successfully treated, right? Then, you know, the, the symptom would go away, right? But then the underlying issues that caused the symptom didn't. So you're going to get a different symptom. You know, you're you know get what this reminds expression. me of, Peter? I was just thinking in my internship, I spent a couple months on general surgery and there was this no-nonsense general surgeon, surprise, surprise, who was talking about these women with chronic abdominal pain and they would have one organ removed, they'd have another organ removed, mm-hmm. they'd have another one and there was still pain. And he was so wise, he just said, she doesn't have a problem with her organs, she just has pain. Yeah. Yeah. Is that one manifestation yeah. of this? That, that's a manifestation of this. Right. And, you know, the different, you know, stomach pain, for example, you know, what I think about, and it's different for, other, for, for everybody, but stomach pain means I can't digest something. I can't take something in. There's something that's happened that I can't metabolize. I can't digest it. Headaches. You know, I'm dealing with an unthinkable thought you know, or I'm having some kind of intrusive imagery or the implications of something that have happened are too much to bear. So the pain in my head keeps me from thinking about it. Chest pain, right? My heart hurts, right? I'm dealing with emotional pain, loss, relational loss, fatigue, right? I can't go on. Uh, the, the burden's too much. You know, limb pain, right? For your arms. And I've, I've worked with cases like this where I've actually had um, people with arm you know, conversion disorder, right? Arm paralysis. And what was that about? It was about keeping from striking out, keeping from actually lashing out physically. Leg pain can, be, can mean keeping from running away from someone or from something, right? For example, running away from a marriage, right? I'm afraid that if I have the you know, full use of my legs, I'll run away from my spouse and I don't want to do that. Difficulty breathing, right? The sense of being choked or smothered, um, you know, of not getting enough of something vital. Back pain is a really common one, especially a yoke pattern right around the neck. You often see that in those muscles right there. Yes. That's where a yoke would be, right? So there's, you know, the sense of being, being burdened with that. And then jaw clench, you know, not being able to speak, bruxism, uh, that's the grinding of the teeth, anger. Um, skin conditions, you know, can get a lot of different reasons for skin conditions to come up. So that doesn't mean that if somebody has that particular symptom, that that's the meaning, but those are very common ways that people express um, different kinds of psychological experiences through the body. So Peter, in our previous episodes, you've done certain on-air exercises and you've got one here to help us recognize issues in ourselves. So bring it on. (laughs) There was a physical therapist in Portland, Oregon, who I did some training with that taught me something really useful. And I wish I had had it 20 years ago. I'm going to bring it to you guys. And I'm actually going to invite the audience to do this as well. Okay. So um, now, uh, you know, just some safety things here first. If any of this feels uncomfortable, you know, by all means, stop. Right. Um, But it's a way of opening uh, a space to be able to understand what might be going on with our physical symptoms. So, you know, uh, I'm just going to invite you guys, Tom, Andrew, if you'd like to, to go ahead and do this uh, along with the folks, you know, uh, that are listening, it, it, it actually can be really revealing. Right? Go for so, it, Peter. So the first thing I'm going to ask is that you have a big open heart towards yourself, right? And especially towards your body to really be accepting of what, is going on in your body, not, not necessarily approving of it, but accepting that it's real, accepting that, you know, that what's going on in your body actually exists, right? So we're actually turning our attention inward, specifically to our bodies. And I'm going to invite you to, to notice if there's any symptom 
that you are picking up in your body, anything that's sort of being, that's going on in your body. It doesn't even have to be a symptom. It could just be a sensation, something you're feeling in your body. And I'm going to invite you to get really curious about that. You know, not to assume that you just know all about it, but to get curious about what that sensation might mean and what it might have to tell you. So just really opening up to possibilities about learning about yourself in order to love yourself in an ordered way. We're not talking about unhealthy self-absorption here. This is the exact opposite. This is about loving ourselves so that we can love others, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's part of the second great commandment. And so I'm going to invite you to really focus in on that body sensation. And in a minute, I'm going to ask you to do something that might seem a little strange. But as you focus in with that big open heart on that part of you that's experiencing that sensation, I'm going to invite you to listen to what it has to tell you. What it wants to say about its experience, right? What it wants to tell you about what's going on inside. And that could come to you in a word or in a memory or in an image or a song. Could make that connection to what that sensation or symptom wants you to know, what it's signaling. just invite you to really listen into it. You know, and if it seems good, you know, in the future to reconnect with that, you know, you can make an arrangement to say, yeah, I'm going to check in with you again, right? As we come back to kind of the present and kind of re-engage here in the, in the here and now. Um, and I'm just, you know, I'm just curious about like what that was like for you guys, you know, uh, you know, to the degree that you want to share or whatever. So. Well, Peter, one thing this reminds me of is I've been doing this for the last oh, 15 months, which has helped me you know, with my 30 plus year history of anxiety, I get off of medication uh, mm -hmm. to realize these type of things. So I'm used to doing it and there's far less of those symptoms. I mean, almost everything I have is because of something physical in my body. But for instance, right now, right. I feel tension in my shoulders uh, leaning forward. And I think it's because, and also around my eyes, attention. I think it's because I want to be really focused as we're doing this episode right, and pay right. attention and just bring my whole being into what we're doing so that I can be in one place, focused on one thing at a time. I don't know if that makes right. sense. No, that makes sense to me, Tom, right? I mean, it makes sense that you would have a part of you that really want, because I sense that you really want to do things well, right? So there's this desire to perform really well. And, you know, and that you want this episode to be good for your listeners, right? I mean, I, I sense the care that you put into these and the prep and all of that. So that makes perfect sense to me. And as long as that is uh, within sort of good bounds, you know, that's, that actually can be a real asset. It can help you to pursue, you know, pursue excellence, you know, but sometimes people, perfectionism, can, I'm not saying this is you, but sometimes perfectionism can, can be a way of trying to earn God's love for example, right? You right. see that in Pelagianism, right? That's the heresy by which we believe that if we're only good enough, 
God will love us, right? We need to overcome our badness or our inadequacy. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a response to shame. And right? people only to need to hear the episodes to realize that I'm not about perfectionism. And they listen to <laughs> well, you know what, what this makes me think of a little bit too is kind of an examination of conscience that we would mm-hmm. do spiritually. This is a little bit maybe of a psychological or physical examine. An examination um, of body. Where that might not be a bad thing to tie in in the evening. You know, they talk about the daily examine. Um, I think there could be an opportunity, especially for our listeners who do feel, you know, if you've participated in that exercise and there's something that's kind of poking you or rearing its head at you, it would not be a bad idea to do a daily examine in that way too, where if there is something either physical or psychological that you're not ignoring it because it's easy. I think, you know, I, I talk to people a lot of times, even about blood pressure or weight loss or anything. If you're not getting data, then you're sure not going to end up someplace different if you're not (laughs) doing anything different, you know? So if, if there is something that, that was kind of speaking to you during that exercise, I'd invite you to, to make that a more common practice. That's brilliant, Andrew. I, 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 I recommend that. I, rem- I look at four sets. I look at body set, and I tend to start with the body. Then I look at um, mindset, where, is the, where are our thoughts, where are our beliefs, our heart set, where are our emotions, and then our soul set. And I actually do soul set last, actually. In other words, I have people do a lot of that prep like you were talking about before they go into prayer. Because it really yes. helps to have this recollection at a natural level. Yes. So that we have that foundation for the spiritual recollection, right? Because grace perfects nature. We want to make sure that we're in a good place, you know, recollected before we go in there. I think we have parts also that are really frightened uh, of God. And so sometimes those parts will really act up, you know, when we actually enter into prayer. So, you know, uh, so to actually work with some of that beforehand can make the prayer actually so much better. So I'm really into that kind of preparation. And I do it myself, actually. I work that way uh, in my own prayer life. So far, the part that really struck me is when you were just nailing it on some of the meanings of these different types of pains people have, and like your own bruxism or, or teeth grinding. Right. I realized that I've had that at times in my life where there was something I wanted to say to somebody, but was prevented in some way. Uh, from you know speaking my mind or saying what needed to be said, even for the good of someone else, not just for, to get something off my chest. Right. It's amazing how true a lot of this is. It's 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 really really fascinating. And it wasn't until I got into um, psychodynamic supervision, so I worked under a psychoanalyst for seven years, um, that I really began to get into like what the dynamic meanings of these things were. You know, they weren't just things to be managed, right? They are things to actually be listened to. And you can think about these symptoms, any symptoms, not just psychosomatic symptoms, but any symptoms as like the lights on a car dash, right? You know, the, the warning lights yes. that come on. What we, you know, in the old time cars, it's not the case now, but in the old time cars, <laughs> if you knew which, which fuses, you know, like lit up those on the dash, you could pull the fuse and the you light would go off. You can't even find a fuse better. map anymore. Can't, you can't even find a fuse <laughs> I've map. I've tried. <laughs> we're, we're old enough. We're all old enough to remember yes. that. So, and you might feel better in the short run, right? If you can find that fuse, pull it and your engine light goes off, but that didn't solve whatever was going on right. in the engine, right. right? You know, so, you know, just because you burn the map doesn't mean that the territory has disappeared. So, <laughs> um, you know, so, so, the, you know, we want it. We actually, these symptoms are gifts. They're actually gifts. Now, I wouldn't recommend you guys just leading with that when you're working with somebody in your office that's experiencing a lot this of pain. This is a gift. <laughs> that's right. You can see how that might not, you know, that might not go over real well. But if you could actually think of them as the signs to be able to go back, which is one of the reasons why some of the toughest clients for me to work with are those that are under layers of psychotropic medications, because mm. then you have just so many different, so many different things impacting the person that it can be hard to read the signs. It can get really muddy. Peter, you we know, have about four minutes left and I know you really want to get through what to do if we think a friend or family member is suffering from psychosomatic yes, problems. Yes. So the first thing is to start with yourself, really be recollected you know, and because you can do so much more with yourself than you can with the other person, right? You really want to have a big open heart 
toward yourself and toward the other person. Be really interested and curious about the inner life of the other person. Don't just go with what they tell you. Try to listen for what might be behind what they're saying, right? Oftentimes they'll give you clues in their languaging that they don't even know that they're giving you, right? So there's three main virtues for working with people that have psychosomatic symptoms. The first is charity, the second is humility, and the third is patience. You gotta have those three, you know? And I, I also encourage you to be looking inward. You know, um, Andrew, you brought up that examination of conscience. I would think about what am I telling myself about this person, right? Because the relationship killer is contempt. Once we start to look at another person with contempt, you know, then we're going to drive a real wedge. We're going to create harm in that relationship. So, and that contempt is usually a reaction to something in me that I despise that I don't recognize. And folks that have psychosomatic uh, presentations pull for that from, from us. They can be very evocative. So that personal humility, there's a lot going on in the other person that I don't understand. Even if I think I do, people are complex you know, to really be able to be humble and say, I don't have all the answers for this person. And I'm not supposed to have all the answers for this person. Even if this person desperately wants me to heal them, right? Say they're a patient of, of yours as a physician, or if they are, uh, you know, a spouse or, 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 or somebody else that you have a, uh, an obligation to in one way or another, you cannot heal them. Hold on to the fact that you're not responsible for this person's choices, you don't have to heal that person. It may not be possible because the person may refuse to be healed. They may choose the illness rather than the healing. So uh, wow. God's the primary healer. You know, every client is a gift. Every patient is a gift from God. It might be to help you grow in patience and humility and in, you know, and in charity. Um, and remember too, this is also very helpful that it's an opportunity to love Christ, right? Whatsoever you do to the least of my brothers that you do unto me. Peter, you've got some resources that people can use. Tell us about them. So I think everything goes back to shame, right? And, and, and so I'm doing a, a series in my podcast, Coronavirus Crisis Carpe Diem. It's episodes starting with episode 37. You can see it at soulsandhearts.com. You guys will have links up. Uh, but if you go to soulsandhearts.com, you'll see that. There we're starting at the very beginning with shame. There's another series that comes in in episodes 23 to 29 that's on God images. That's the other prong of this, misunderstanding myself, misunderstanding God. There's two other things that I think might be really helpful, though, too, two free courses we have at Souls and Hearts, and that is a Catholic's Guide to Helping a Loved One in Distress and a Catholic's Guide to Self-Help. Those are broader courses than just psychosomatic, but they really talk about what you can do to help you You'll help yourself be in a good place to help yourself or to help somebody else. And they're totally free. It's just something we do for the people that come to see us. So. Soulsandhearts.com, all one word. Dr. Peter Malinowski, again, full of incredible practical wisdom. Thank you for being back with us on Dr. Doctor. I'm sure we'll meet with you here again. God bless you, it's Peter. Been an, it's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And we're back with Dr. Doctor and the answer to the medical trivia question. Yes. The question is, what are the Greek and Latin derived names for this one chemical, which is responsible for many psychosomatic symptoms, as well as the fight or flight response? And that chemical is? Adrenaline. Adrenaline. And the other name for it is? Epinephrine. Epinephrine. So adrenaline comes from Latin word with two roots, meaning of or from the kidney, ad renal. Renal is, you know, a medical term that refers to anything with the kidney. So ad means of or from the kidney. The adrenal gland is on top of the kidney that makes adrenaline. Well, epinephrine, epi means on top of, like epidermis, the top of the skin, and nephros is the Greek word for kidney. So it means on top of the kidney. So the adrenal gland is on top of the kidney and makes epinephrine. Isn't it wonderful so if, when things work out like that? If you're a medical student and you thought it was really confusing why they had two words for the same thing, it's just different translations. It's just Greek and Latin. So, Andrew, your key takeaways from this interview. Yeah, I'd say a couple of key takeaways that I had. I'd say number one, um, somatic symptoms are real. 
and they can happen to you if they haven't already. And uh, it's something that it's, there's nothing wrong with that, but we should all be open to that. Number two, when dealing with people, either as patients or loved ones who have these things, you got to start from a place of charity and humility, knowing that it's usually speaking of something else. And I'm of the mindset that you actually can't make people do anything, especially if you tell them that this isn't real. You know, that's not the case at all. This is real. And the only thing that we can really do is walk along with them to, to suffer with them, compassion, show them compassion, and to help them potentially get better. And a great way to start is that examination of the body. You know, if you can do an act of contrition, examination of conscience at night. I liked how uh, Dr. Peter suggested starting with the physical, even before you get to the spiritual examine, do an examination of the body. I think that is so helpful. Then you'll see, you know, why is that there? If there's not a physical reason for it, maybe there's something that you're not quite aware of that somebody can help you become aware of. I loved Peter's sections on what different symptoms often mean that we're doing, especially like the teeth grinding. It's like, we're not saying something that we need to say. Yeah, it is incredible. And you know, that's every time I talk to people from the psychological world, I learn something, you know, and I really like that because yeah, there's so many analogies there. But then when you're talking to individual people, you're like, oh, I see that or even in yourself. And then finally, he said, some people will choose to live with the illness. And he said that back on his episode about conspiracy theories, because he said, whatever they see as the alternative to them is worse than what they have now. And it's not our responsibility to make someone change. So these are some of the takeaways. You hopefully had others, but thank you for being with us for another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio program and podcast, of the Catholic Medical Association. We come to you via the virtual studios of Redeemer Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Please share the good news of Dr. Doctor with a friend. Invite them to listen on their favorite podcast app. And be sure, if you get anything out of this, be sure to rate <laughs> and review our show. If you did not like it, keep walking. Um, but otherwise, if you liked it, help new listeners find us. And please do send us your questions or tell us how something you heard on the show changed your life. And be sure to tune in next week for your appointment with Dr. Doctor. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-hosts or the Catholic Medical Association. Find our past episodes and keep up with the latest from Dr. Doctor by subscribing in your favorite podcast app and following us on Facebook. Get links to follow and subscribe or submit a question for our doctors by texting the word DOCTOR to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or visit RedeemerRadio.com slash doctor.